You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. Okay, Paul's writing the church in Corinth, and this is what he says. Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you, to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so that it will be ready as a gift and not an extortion. Verse 6. Remember this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8, And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness as you are enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank You, God, for worship. Lord, we thank You for being able to lift praise to You. Uh, Father God, we pray now for Your Holy Spirit just to fill the room, Lord, to cleanse me, God, and use me for Your, uh, for your Word. Lord, that You'll speak to, to us through the Word and that God will be a stronger church as a result. Lord, we'll be stronger people as a result. We pray us all in your holy name. Amen. All right, y'all can be seated. And my throat's a little scratchy, so I'll be drinking water every once in a while. And I may sound different, but I kind of like it when my voice sounds a little raspy. So I'm going to enjoy it, and you just hopefully can get over it. Um, Today we're going to talk about giving. That was my breath. I won't do it again. Uh, Today we're going to talk about giving. And when we talk about giving, we're going to talk about being a people that are giving people, but we're also going to talk about being uh, church members and giving to the church. And so you don't, if you think about it, how many times have you heard tithing preached on here? It's probably really, really rare. Um, And so we are going to broach the subject of tithing and what it means for us to tithe now and what it means for New Testament believers to tithe. But really, we're going to talk about like having a a spirit of giving. And the reason I'm doing that is I feel like God's been working in my heart about giving and and wanting to give to others. And so I don't know about you guys, but for me, and I shared this in Sunday school a few weeks ago, that I'm a very, I think, I think a very logical person. And so I try to follow logic and I had turned into really like having a transactional mindset. And when I say transactional mindset, I mean that at all times, I was keeping a balance sheet of what I owed someone and what they owed me. And so whenever somebody, and some of you are like, monster, Um, okay, it it wasn't that complicated, but if I did something for someone in my mind, I'm in the black, like they owe me. And I'm not holding it over their head like they owe me, but I'm like feeling relieved of I don't owe them. And at the same time, when somebody did something for me, I'm thinking, I've got to be able to make this right. I owe them right now. They helped me with this, and now I owe them for whatever the value of it was. And so what it did, though, was that I didn't realize that it was happening, but it created in me not a judgmental spirit, 
Because once again, I wasn't worried about what somebody owed me. I preferred for them to owe me and me just live in the black on my balance sheet and accounting and red. It's always that it's owed, right? It's a debt. It's going out. I just didn't want to be in the red. But that's not how God's called his church to live. And I think that that's the way that we, we've, a lot of us have settled into that now where no one can even do us a favor anymore. We're like trying to sneak money into their pocket or we don't ever want to have somebody that we owe. And so we avoid it. So in the best circumstances that I always wanted to be the giver, but in reality, what it ended up being is that I didn't really have a spirit of giving. I had a a transactional spirit. It's one that's always viewing everything as a transaction. And so everything was viewed through a dollar amount. And so God started working me on that, working on me on that. Davion, there's a Christian hip-hop guy named Bizzle. And his whole slogan is God over money. And really a lot of it started when I was listening to that album and I was like, whoa, really? Like I realized how materialistic my existence was and how much I thought about money all the time. And he started opening my eyes like, hey, we're God over money. Like God before anything else, God before money. And so God's been working on me in that area, changing my heart in that area. And he, I'll be honest, he did it through my guy Bizzle. He also did it through other Christians that I saw with a genuine giving spirit that genuinely didn't ask for anything in return. Like they did not want anything in return out of me. And they weren't holding it over my head. They weren't watching me closely with it. It was other believers that they acted that way. And it was an inspiration to me of, wait, I want that heart. I want to be like that person. So let's just dig in really quickly to talk about the tithe. Um, If we were going to talk about the tithe, we need to go back in history and look at the Old Testament. We know that it's a discipline in the Old Testament. Everywhere we see the tithe referred to is under Mosaic law. And so when we go back to the Old Testament, we see that the first tithe happens when Abraham meets Melchizedek in Genesis and he gives him a tenth of everything that he has. We also see Jacob, when God meets him in Bethel, that Jacob says that I'll give you everything, I'll give you a tenth of everything that I have. He gives him a tithe then. And then we see in Mosaic law, it's really codified in Mosaic law, where you have to give a tithe. And in the book of Malachi, we see where it was, there's really strong words used. Like in Leviticus, it tells us that the tithe already belongs to God. And then in Malachi, it takes it a step further. Like if you keep the tithe, you're robbing God. And so we've all heard these passages preached talking about the tithe and us giving in theory, like giving to God through by giving to the church. But the only issue is that in the New Testament, you don't really see the tithe talked about very much. And people will be like, well, where does it say 10%? Well, a tithe means a tenth. Okay, so that's there. Um, The other side of it is, is that people that are saying there's no tithe required now, they would be like, that's Mosaic law. We've been delivered from Mosaic law. Some on the other side would say, but Abraham and Jacob's, their tithe, it happened outside of Mosaic law. And they'd also say that, listen, the idea of a day of worship, of Sabbath, like it was under Mosaic law, but we still honor it. We still come to church and meet weekly and and worship God and the Sabbath. So maybe we're not under it, but we should honor it like a tradition. I don't know. And I really don't want us to get too tied down in tithing because if we're not careful, we'll use that as... We'll all hone in on that. Well, I paid my tenth. I'm done. Or I don't believe God calls me to pay a tenth. So I paid my 4% and I'm done. 
when really it's about the spirit of giving that I think God wants to develop in us. John MacArthur does a good job of pointing out that you know, the, is, the nation of Israel was a theocracy. My definition would be that God is king of the nation and his priests rule as servants of the king, right? And so whenever we're looking at Old Testament, MacArthur argues that when they talk about tithe in the Old Testament, they're really just talking about a tax. In a theocracy, your tithe is just your tax. So if we look at how much the Old Testament paid, so if you're like, you know what, I think we need to go back to our roots and go Old Testament style. Old Testament, they paid 10% to the Levites. The Levites paid 10% of what they got to the chief priests, so everybody's tithing. They also paid another 10%. They called it like a festival tax or tithe. It would help pay for like the religious festivities. And then remember, in the Old Testament, by Levitical law, if you were a farmer, you couldn't plow, you couldn't reap your corners. You had to make sure that you moved your, uh, whenever you're harvesting a crop, you'd skip the corners and you allowed for gleaning to happen so that anybody that didn't have food or was poor, they would come in behind you and they would pick what was left over. And God pretty much said, hey, don't go after the corners because we need to leave that for people that don't have anything. Then they'll have something. So we're already at 20% with, with the Levites and with our festivities. If we include the amount that we left in the field for the poor, then we're well over 20%. So if you want to take an Old Testament view of tithing, welcome to this church, and we value you here. But we don't really know. Now, think about it. Levitical law is gone. The temple's gone. Religious festivities are gone. So what are we called to do as Christians now? And what should a New Testament tithe look like? So when we go to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let's back up a bit and look at what he's talking about. If we go to chapter 8 in 2 Corinthians, we would see where Paul... He's raising money for the church in Jerusalem. And all of us have read Acts and we saw where God came down, the Holy Spirit came down and like uh, anointed the apostles and then they go and preach and a lot of people are getting saved. It said like 3,000 were added that first day. And whenever that happened, those were mostly Jews. A lot of them were from Jerusalem. Immediately upon saying that Jesus was their Lord, they're written off, they're cut off. So they're discriminated against because they're no longer following in the faith. And so what we have in Jerusalem is that they're growing more and more impoverished because they are identifying with Christ and they're being excommunicated from all the business, from all the community, from all the culture, everything there in Jerusalem, they're being cut off and they're hungry. Like they're literally impoverished and hungry. And so Paul now is in these Macedonian churches and going to Corinth to raise money to send for the impoverished brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. So once again, we're not necessarily talking about a tithe, but we are talking about a spirit of giving that Paul's trying to generate in this church in, in Corinth. So the Macedonian church is rallied to support. If we want to look at that, we'll go to chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 1. So just go back a page, and we'll just read 1 through 5. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia during a severe, this is for theirs, right? So check it out, verse 2. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints, or to the saints. 
and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. We see the Macedonian church, it says that in, like, they're afflicted, they're impoverished, and here they are, they're begging Paul, hey, we want to send a gift. We want to take care of this other church. We want to take care of people. And contrast that with how we think. Like, we're so quick to say, oh, I don't have that right now. I can't possibly afford that right now. Um, and we live in the, one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest nation in the world, right? And so here's what we really mean by that. So I, I realized a long time ago when I was, me and Alicia were really poor, um, and we're just living paycheck to paycheck, and I would hear people that I knew made a lot more money than me, and they would make a statement like, I can't, I can't afford that. You know? What they actually mean is it's not in the budget. And so you could have $100,000 in a savings account and still say, I can't afford that, meaning you're not going to, I will not allow myself to afford this. So it's how a millionaire gets away by saying, I can only give this much because of like the self-imposed budgetary rule that he's put in. It's, it is what it is. I don't care. But what happens is we do the same thing. So we'll blow $7 on a coffee at Starbucks, but then turn around and tell somebody that we can't afford something else. And what it was is just the priorities of how we chose to spend our money. And here the Macedonian church says, hey, we're impoverished, we're afflicted, but we're gonna, we don't care. We want to come up with money to be able to pay to help our brothers and sisters out. The other thing that we think is, well, when I get more, I'm going to give more. Like, if God will bless me, I'm going to bless everybody else. The truth probably is, is that you'll never give a greater share than what you're already giving. So, we can frame it this way. If you're stingy with $10, you're going to be stingy with 100 If you blow $10 on you, you're going to blow 100 on you. It just means that the stuff gets nicer. So back in the day, think about it. You had a little bit of money in your pocket. You went to TJ Maxx. Eventually, though, you have the same share of money, and you just go to Johnson & Murphy. Okay, no Johnson & Murphy fans? What's another high-end brand? Just substitute that in there. Back in the day, you went for the brand-new Honda Civic. You increase your wealth. You take the same share, and it goes to the brand-new Tahoe which is like 80 grand plus now, so that's ridiculous. But see, no matter how much money I got, I still pretty much I always prioritized and percentaged my way the same. It went to the same. I just got nicer things. And so it's like, God bless me, make me a CFO, make me a CEO, and I promise I'm going to bless the world. And the truth is, you're going to bless the world like you always have, the same percentage you always have. That is pretty much just the, the truth there. That's how it goes. But the Macedonian church doesn't believe that. They don't operate that way. With a little bit that they have, they're, they're pulling it together and they're sending it to their brothers and sisters that are in need. The other thing that it says they gave, it says that in verse 6, it says, no, sorry, verse 5, not just as we hoped in money, but it says, instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So these are people that have committed their way so much so to God that God actually has influence over their finances. We're people that commit our way to ourselves and then we ask God every once in a while what He wants us to do with our finances. It's, our, it's how our mind works, but the Macedonian mind didn't work that way. They 
they were just so committed to God's kingdom that they wanted to give everything, everything they could to send to those churches in need. So another thing that's occurred to me recently is this. There used to be like the evangelistic line of where do you want, like people would say, like, where do you want to be in five years in business? It's something I ask in job interviews. I'll ask somebody, where, where do you want to be in five years? And if they respond and say, I want your job, then I'm like, no, I'm not hiring you. You're going to try to replace me. And that has happened multiple times. So just a FYI, don't tell the person interviewing you that you want their job. Unless you're saying they get promoted higher and whatever. It happens. I think it's happened to Alan as well. But anyways, where do you want to be in five years? And I love hearing the dream side of that. They'll be like, well, I want to have finished this degree. Some people go really personal. Like, I want to have children by that time or be married. I don't know. Um, the evangelistic side is like, where do you want to be in five years? Where do you want to be in 500 years? So everybody's like, 500? Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm going to be dead. Um, and where's my soul going to be? And this is what I, I would ask with how we spend our money. Like, we're all thinking, like, where are we going to be in five years? Like, where's this going to be in 500 years? The likelihood is the house that, that, I, that we just finished building, it will be ashes by 500 years, if it even survives our family. Um, the cars we drive, everything that we work so hard for, it's unlikely that any of it's going to last more than our lifetime or a few years after. One time in the youth, I asked him, I was like, hey, who all knows their great-great-grandparents' name? And not one of them did. So if not even our own family is going to remember us, then we better just put, our, put all of our effort, resources, revenue, talent, time into something that can last. And the only thing that we have on this earth that's going to last is this kingdom, right? God's kingdom. And we submit ourselves to His kingdom knowing that it's the only thing that matters 500 years from now. And so Macedonian, the Macedonian church got this. And so let's do this. Let's ask this question. I want to say this real quick. I don't know what I wrote here. Oh, yeah. The Macedonian church gave trusting. I thought I said twisting. I was like, twisting God. Um, the Macedonian church gave trusting that God would cover the other end of it. And for us, we're like, hey, let me make sure I get all my bills paid, and then I'm going to give to God. And then Macedonian church is like, no, we're going to give to God, and then we're going to believe in God so much, submitted to his kingdom, that he's going to cover the rest, or I'll, or I'll lose it. Um, I want to be like the Macedonian Christians. But what if, here's the question, what if how you give, what if how you give reflects your understanding or perception of how God gives to you? Right? So what if however you give and spend your money reflects how you truly believe God gives to you? So if I believe that God is somewhat distant, somewhat removed, and he allows me to go out and he gave me talent to go out and hustle and make money and get degrees and make relationships and work those relationships into more money and build a business and have that success through my effort. Like the way that I believe that God gave me now is really like God gave me a seed and I went and turned it into a forest, right? Through my own grit, my own work ethic, my own intellect, my own passion, let that all happen because I drove it. And thanks God, by God's grace, I got there, right? Now when somebody wants me to give them something, this is what I say. If I give this to you, what are you going to do with it? 
Now, are you going to go through your own hard work, determination, work ethic, passion, intellect, all that stuff? And I, I list off my requirements to them to give them that, that money. Because I believe that's how God gave me the money. But if in, in another way, I look and I say, wait a second, okay, God gave me everything. Like the air I breathe, God gives it to me. He allowed me to wake up. He allowed me to step out of bed. God blessed me with an opportunity to interview for a job and then blessed me while I was at that job to be able to get promoted. That God allowed me to meet Alicia and be married and have this children. One world, it's like, hey, I'm so handsome, smart, and personality awesome. Like, Alicia just drawn to me. Thank you, God, for giving me all these blessings. The other side is, without, without God, none of that actually comes true. Like nothing, there's nothing with me. It's all God and he's moving me and he's moving me along and he's bringing things to me as he see fit, sees fit in his will. When I look and see God that way and the way that he lavishes his gifts on me that way and I see the giving God there, now when I get ready to give somebody a gift, it's God's anyway. It's God's anyways. So here you go. And you just let, let God handle it, right? I'm not putting too many expectations I'm not expecting them to go and be me because God didn't make them me. He made them them and He's going to let them be them and they need to grow and go with the Lord. But now I have more grace and belief that it's all going to be because of God that anything good comes out of it and I, I let them go. I give more freely this way and I give in a way that means something where here I'm going to be brutal and I'm going to expect them to line up with all my checklists before I can give to them. So let's ask the question again. And let's just go ahead and make it a statement. I believe that the way that we give to others, the way that we give to a church, is the way that we really believe God gives to us. That God, that our perception of how we believe God gives us things is actually expressed in how we give others. So some of you today, God wants to change your perception of how He gives things to you. And there's ways that He can do it. One is this message. The other is that He lets you fall flat on your face and see that the talent, academia, intellect, work ethic, none of that meant anything without His blessing. And He'll knock you down, let you realize that, and then pick you back up. This message is the easier way. Let's think about how God gives. Um, if we look and see how, how, how God actually gives in verse 8, and this is what I think backs up that truth. He says, I'm not, verse, chapter 8, verse 8, I am not saying this as a command. By, rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. And he's once again talking about raising money. And so what Paul's doing is saying, if you give a little, what are you saying about the genuineness of your love? If you give a small amount and keep back and hold back and look, for your, look out for yourself, then you've said a whole world's worth of words about the genuineness of your love. And then, let's see. Let's think about how God loves us. Uh, in verse 9, it tells us that for you know the grace the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, although He was rich, for whose sake? For your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. 
We know that, that, that Jesus, the historical figure of Jesus, was poor. And you'll hear a lot of health and wealth people that'll manipulate passages like this to be like, you know, hey, you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. So donate to my ministry and you'll reap generously. Um, that is not what Paul's saying. And you'll hear a lot of people be like, listen, health and wealth. You'll be like, well, health and wealth, the one th clear argument is, wait, how can God always make us healthy and wealthy if his own son was crucified on a cross, right? And you'll hear people say, well, his, his robe, they gambled for his robe because it was so nice. And it was a nice robe. But Jesus lived as a homeless person his three years in ministry. The belief is that when Jesus, in Jesus' home with his mother Mary was about the size of like a parking spot. Like this is a tiny dwelling place outside of a major city in a tiny little commune. Jesus grew up poor. And here it confirms it in 2 Corinthians 8 when it says, he became poor for you. That's how Jesus loves. And so all of us are like, hey, you know what? I will give God whatever you ask me, I'll give, but I'm not going to touch the 401k. And I'm not telling you to. God, I'm going to give after I make sure all of my bills are paid each month, the Tahoe, the house, my life insurance package, because I need a big one, because I want my wife to live high on the hog when I'm gone. Um, like we have all these things, and then God gets what he wants. That's not how Jesus loves. Jesus was poor. He was rich and he became poor for us. Jesus goes all in for us. He doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us anything, but then he brings all everything to us, right? He allows us to grow and he gives us a life worth living. Think about the fact that a sovereign God actually develops seasons that change. Lauren could speak a lot more thoroughly about this, but the idea that God put thought into the design work of earth it could, didn't have to be that way, but he cared and he gave us good things. He gave us good gifts. He put life and art and artistry into the creation that he surrounded us with. In Psalm 46, 1, it tells us that, listen, this all-powerful sovereign God is an ever-present help in times of trouble, that this God would actually bother to offer his time and power and attention to us when we get ourselves in a bind and in trouble. So much so that whenever we think about the work of God, that he saves us, that he grows us, that he saves the people that we love, that we are driven to worship, that we lift our hands in worship, we lift our voices in worship. But a lot of times we won't lift a finger when it comes to actually helping a brother or sister in need. Or when it comes to something wrong with the church, we're looking around like, who's going to pay that bill? And God's actually wanting his people to rise up with a giving spirit and come and meet needs before they meet their own wants. Think about it. What if God loved the way that we love? The Bible would be a lot different. Let's just apply that scenario. If God gave and loved the way that we love, we could apply it to Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Jesus gets down. He's like, oh gosh, gross. Thomas, did you even wear shoes today? Because your feet are disgusting. He's wiping and washing. When was the last time you bathed? Judas. What did you step in today? This is disgusting and gross. I've spent the last three years healing the sick. I should have been working on your nasty toenails. Think about him and the woman at the well. Oh, okay, here, listen. I'm going to let you off on this one, but I want you to have a thorough review of every poor choice you've made that's led you to this moment. Hey, Jairus, your daughter is healed. 
Now I'm going to need some political favors. If Jesus gave like we gave, if he loved like we loved, the Bible reads a lot differently. Ah, think about it. If I get asked for one more loaf and fish, okay, I'll multiply a few more, but I'm going to need the obese people in the crowd to slow down. If God gave the way that we give, the Bible reads awfully for us. But Paul gives us good ways. Paul in 2 Corinthians, if we go back to chapter 9, he says that we don't do it grudgingly. Like we actually, we want to be a cheerful giver. We're somebody that believes that much. We want, we're so invested in God's kingdom that, and the word there, MacArthur says, is hilarious giver. That we are laughing and joyful when we give to God. But a lot of times that's not us. We do it grudgingly. We want everybody to know about it. It seems more like extortion than a gift. We do it sparingly. It's all transactional. Think about it. Think about everything that you give your money to and you never ask a question. But the moment you give your money to the church or somebody else, you turn into the office of an inspector general. It's like, I will give my money to Target, Walmart, Starbucks, whoever, and never ask a question about how they spend any of it. But the moment I give it to the church, I want a breakdown of everything that it's going to be spent on. And there's no trust. Like, tell me that spirit isn't something that's negative. That our giving, that we have such a lack of a giving spirit that if I'm investing in me through a corporation, I'd ask, I ask no questions. But if I'm investing in others through a, a ministry, I ask every question. So what happens is we come up with a lot of really good excuses. If we were in Corinth, we would have responded with statements like, ah, those people need to get a job in Jerusalem. Like, I'm tired, of, I'm tired of taking care of them. Have they ever thought about moving out of Jerusalem? I don't like the political leadership. I don't like where it's going. And there's a lot more uh, opportunity outside of the city limits of Jerusalem. Uh, in Parks and Recreation, the character of Ron Swanson, it's a comedy, so nobody amen the quote, but he, he, when he defines capitalism, he says capitalism is God's way of deciding who is smart and who is poor. And it's a, a nasty way to say that he believes that capitalism is all a division of intellect. But some people really would apply that to Jerusalem. We would be suspicious of their faith. You know, how can you be walking with God and still be hungry. Like, how can you be walking with God and Him not meet your meet everything you need? Tell them to work that stuff out and then I'll give. We blame the political leaders. I don't like the mayor of Jerusalem. I see him on CNN all the time. I don't like the way he talks. I don't like the way he's going. Like his plan for that city is running into the ground, and those Christians need those Christians need to get out of there. Or we make statements like, listen, I'm I want to give to them, but I'm afraid they're gonna buy booze with it. Or I'm worried how it's going to get spent. Which isn't necessarily a negative thing. It's negative, though, when it's the first thing you ever think about before supplying anybody with help for their need. We all would have made a lot of different excuses of why we wouldn't have been able to help the church in Jerusalem. Luckily, the Macedonian church doesn't do that, and it doesn't seem that the Corinthian church did it either. All these are really, there's really good excuses to help people with money keep it guilt-free. 
if you're looking for spending perfection, so this, like I said, like I don't want us spending money crazily. If you're watching Christian television, you got somebody that somebody's asking you for money, I encourage you, vet that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if you're looking for like spending perfection, which is a lot of times a spirit that we'll get, do you realize you never would have invested in Jesus' ministry? Judas Iscariot was his chief financial officer. He was chair of the finance committee. If we were really going like, to like, have high standards or standards at all, like we don't want people stealing from it, then we never would have invested in Jesus' ministry. Once again, it doesn't condone what Judas did. I think he paid for it. Um, and then two, it doesn't mean that we just go and spend money crazily, like frivolously. We are careful about it. But the giving spirit needs to be on us and it needs to be genuine. All right, we're going to move on along. When we went to Zimbabwe recently, I say recently, it was 2016. Six of us go to Zimbabwe. Just so you know, in Zimbabwe, overwhelming majority of the population lives in poverty. Uh, most live on less than, I think now with inflation adjusted, it's $3.60 a day. That was a years ago estimate. But uh, an impoverished people, whenever we go there, we're all, all six of us are there, and you know, if you look online before you travel anywhere, it like scares you about what the what could happen there. And and so we all have these like money belts, and you have your money belt, you tuck your money belt inside your pants, and it's like you're not getting my money without going through the pants. Um, and so we all have our money belts. You take cash in there because you can't get cash when you get there. Like cash is really hard to come by. And so we all have our cash. Um, and we're getting off the plane. You know, at first you're really like Secret Service looking, looking around. Hey, you looking at my belt? Um, and you're really guarded. And then kind of ease up a little bit. But the whole time, a lot of us, five of us, were thinking, listen, if Zimbabwe declares war or something crazy, I got to have enough money to get me out of the country. Even if they have to put me in a box and smuggle me across the border, I got to have enough cash to get that done. So all of us are holding out, but my dad's like Elon Musk over there, like giving $5 handshakes to everybody and praying with them and just giving money out, blessing folks that he knew when you gave a little bit of money, it meant a lot. It was like, think about if somebody gave you a day's worth of wages or a week's worth of wages. It's significant. Even here, just adjust it. And so he's doing that and he's encouraging us to do it. And we're all a little more like, I don't know, how are they going to spend this? If I give him this $20 bill, what's he going to do with it? You know, not trusting anyone, really skeptical. At the end of it all, we get ready to count our money up to figure out what we're going to leave with the churches. We're going to leave money with the churches. And although all of us allegedly brought the same amount, and old brother Jeff's been spending like Daddy Warbucks over there helping people, just blessing people, giving money, he had more money than the rest of us. All the rest of us count. Now, of course, I, I accused him of stealing from me, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, he had more money than everybody else on the team. And in his mind, it was like that God took care of him. And it wasn't that he gave him more money so he could buy nice things, that he gave, gave him more money so that he could give other people more money and make that investment. And God has that plan for us. There's a story about two men that were in like a long-term care facility. They get into the rooms, um, 
And one is when he gets to his room, there's already a guy with a bed by the window. Our guy that's closer to the door, he is paralyzed and he can't raise up. And so day in, day out, he hears the guy next to him and he'll describe what he's seeing outside the window. Oh man, the fall leaves are beautiful. And he's just describing how beautiful the view is outside. In the spring, these flowers, they've come to life. Or you ought to see the parade that's coming through. People are dancing. He would describe everything that's happening outside this window. And the paralyzed guy on the left near the door who can't see any of it, he's just consumed with the kind of jealousy and anger and just gets bitter. Like He wants the window, right? And so years go by of having to listen day in, day out to this guy describe what's outside this window. And finally, one night, he hears the guy struggling to breathe, coughing, choking, and he knows that he could yell. He could yell and get a nurse in there. But he's been so consumed by bitterness and selfishness wanting to get to that window that he doesn't say anything. And the guy dies overnight. The next morning, they come out. They, they, they take the guy's bed and move it. They check on him by the door. and They say, hey, are you okay? And he says, well... If it's not too much trouble, I would, can I get moved closer to the window? So the nurse takes, moves his bed closer to the window. The blinds are drawn, and he says, hey, can, if you don't mind, before you go, can you please open the blinds? And he's thinking about what he's getting ready to see, the words he's heard all this time. When that window comes open, he's finally going to be able to see the view that he's been listening to for two years. And when she opens the blinds, it's a brick wall two feet away. It's a solid brick wall. And that guy, for all those years, had just been telling him things to encourage him, coming up with all sorts of scenery, all, all the while looking at a brick wall. And selfishness ruined him. If we go to chapter 9, verse 6, he says, remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. If you want to nitpick and hold and keep it all to you, you're going to miss out. Health and wealth is going to say you're going to miss out on big bucks. No. You're going to miss out on something that's much more valuable than money. You're going to miss out on experiences that God's got for you if you'll just invest in His kingdom, right? So the question is, people are like, how much of my money do I have to give God? How much of my money does God want? I think the better question is if we ask this, how much of God's money that He's given you does He want you to invest in His church and other people's lives? How much of God's money that He's given you does He want you to invest in His kingdom and in other people and hurting people? Our spirit reflects our belief in what God, how God gives to us, right? So what is your spirit? What is your spirit of giving saying about how you believe God gives to you? If we go to 8-7 really quickly, Paul tells the church this in Corinthians. He says, Now you excel, verse, chapter 8, verse 7, Now you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us. Excel also in this grace. And so for some of you, you're like, when you get a, maybe get a little offended when I say that however you give to others is how you're really giving to, uh, how you believe God gives to you. If you excel in all these other things, in studying the Bible, 
in being evangelistic, in discipling others, in serving God's church, then excel in this too. That you can give to others and that you give to His church and that you bless people. He gives us a good guide. If we start in chapter 9, verse 5, we're almost done. He tells us at the end of verse 5, he says, it'll be ready as a gift and not an extortion. We want it to be a gift. Verse 6, we, you, you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, you sow generously, you reap generously. Verse 7, each person should do as he has decided in his heart and not out of regret or out of necessity. So the idea is that you're going to set it in your heart what you're going to give God. So if you're like, hey, do I give 10%? then you could take your own view of the Scriptures and come up with what, God, what God's leading you to give. Some of you, it's like, hey, it's 10%. Some of you, it may be a little more. Some of you, it may be a little less. But pray about it, determine in your heart what God has given us in this passage is that we are going to just make a decision and a commitment and we're going to support the church. So whatever that looks like, just commit to it and do it. Don't also, and just a practical tip, if you've meant to give your tithe for the past 52 weeks and forgot, don't write IOUs to God. Don't let, well, I'll start giving. As soon as I can get all the 52 weeks, I'll get caught up. Just start today. Like, in theory, if you, have, according to the Malachi passage, have robbed God, don't sit there and think, okay, well, I'm going to finance and try to figure out how to get God paid back. No, just start today. And so whenever you do that, Maybe you haven't been a giving person, but God's calling you to start today and then be a cheerful giver. My thought is that if God gives us a heart of a giving person, that whenever we do it, we'll be blessed because our heart will be warmed. That we'll fill God's Holy Spirit. So start today. Lastly, this. If you look and you think, my giving reflects that I don't know God. Because some of you here, you realize that you're hardened, you don't give, you don't care, you're not moved, you're cold. Because the truth is, you don't even know a giving God. And so some of you are here and you need to be saved. And then when you're saved and you feel the warmth of all that forgiveness that God gives you, and you start to see God's blessing surrounding you everywhere you go, then you're thinking, how do I bless others? How do I give to others? And if we go to the last verse in chapter 9, Paul takes all of this and packs it into verse 15. Like, we're going to be givers in verse 15. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. You can stand with me. Jesus Christ is God's indescribable gift. And when we think about the work that Jesus has done, if you're a Christian and you think about the work that Jesus has done, cleaning you, saving you when you didn't deserve anything, now I can give to others when they may not, by the world's standards, deserve anything. I'm not even going to ask those questions. I'm going to trust God and I'm going to give to others. I'm going to trust God and I'm going to give to my church. I'll throw out there the church in this passage in, in Macedonia, they gave Paul the, the gift at the second half of chapter 8, we see that Paul then gave accountability for the gift. He takes what a lot of people believe to be Apollos, and he takes Titus, and he's like, they're going to help me administer this gift. This is a lot of money. We're going to have other people looking at it, other eyes looking at it. So diligence and accountability is important in giving. But it doesn't matter an iota if you haven't got a giving spirit. You'll pick apart every system because nothing can solve or satiate a greedy spirit. 
So ask God to remove the heart of greed and give you a giving heart so that we'll give one to another and we're not keeping an accounting of it. For, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs and it's kind of this idea of like this debt feeling. Like we're not keeping an account of those. We're not keeping an account of that. We're going to give one to another. We're going to bless others in the name of Jesus and we're going to serve God. If today you say, wait a second, I'm realizing that I don't know the God that we're talking about. And God's laying that on your heart. I'll be here. Alan will be here. Mandel will be here. They can talk to you, pray with you. If you're here and you think, God, I've been stingy. I've been selfish. And I look and I think that I've, I believe that I cre- I've created everything that I have. That it's my hard work, my intellect, my smarts. Then you can repent of that pride today and you can turn to God. And so some of you are Christians that need to get your heart right. Some of you are lost people that need to get saved. And then some of you are those that you need to just pray that God keeps blessing you so you can bless others. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you, God, that you're a good giving God. Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters that when they look at you, they see a demanding, distant, cold, demanding God. That's not who we see in Jesus. So Lord, we see you come and heal people, save people, love people, and draw them close to you. God, help us to be like that. Help us to give of our time. Help us to give our talent. Help us to give our treasure to a church, to brothers and sisters, God, because everybody deserves to know about you. Help us to be people that think about your kingdom and submit to your kingdom before we build our own. And I pray us all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.